you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. I'm Austin Cross. Join me for LAist's new live event series with the James Beard Foundation. We are where we eat. We'll go behind the scenes of LA restaurants. The kickoff event is May 22nd. Tickets at LAist.com events. This neighborhood is so cool. Like, you drive through this residential area. I think we passed by like some lowriders, and I think I saw a doom buggy. And people are riding their horses. You got these vaqueros just hanging out, and we're in this urban area looking for bats. And we're about to approach the 60 freeway, which runs right over the San Gabriel River. Sometimes it's totally dry, but right now there's some water, which is exciting because that means more bad activity. Hey, what's up? This is Human Nature, and I'm Marcos Trinidad. Every week, I'll invite you to get out into the nature of your neighborhood with the help of people who see the world a little differently. Today, it's all about bats. When it comes to keeping the nature in our cities balanced and thriving, these little guys are ecosystem superheroes. And you might be thinking, well, I live in an apartment, not the bat cave. I don't see any bats around here. Well, my next guest might change your mind about that. Here to tell us where to find these elusive flying mammals is an expert, someone I like to call the Batman of Los Angeles. While his real name is Miguel Ordeñana, he works for the Natural History Museum of Los Angeles County as a community science manager. Miguel runs this program called the Backyard Bat Survey. It empowers people to become urban bat trackers, allowing them to report bat sightings from anywhere. His mission is to set the story straight about these misunderstood animals living all around us. Miguel and I met up at the Whittier Narrows Nature Center, where the park supervisor calling was so cool. She let us just sit there and chop it up. What's up, man? Thanks for coming out. Cool, did you see they put some new floor in? and good, Colleen. like it? We've been trying really hard. I mean, really hard. Um, tell me a little bit about bats. Why bats? Why are you considered the Batman of <laughs> L.A.? Well, bats intrigue me because they're mysterious um, and they're controversial. Growing up in L.A., going to Dodger games and observing them flying over night games attracted to stadium lights or the moths that are attracted to stadium lights and, and feeding there, I thought, Man, those can't be birds, but nobody's ever told me that bats live out here. And I think how many other kids, how many other Angelinos have that same perspective of like, how are those birds out so late? And is that a bat? But it can't be like that kind of like second guessing yourself because of a lack of awareness, lack of education about bats. And so I guess if we're always basing our perceptions on a certain organism, especially as important as bats, on what we see in the media, what we see in movies, and assume that they're just dangerous, they're just all rabid. 
I think it could be really damaging and result in either avoidance of that animal or that issue or um, persecution outright of that animal. So we have to stay away from that fakeness. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, and that's was my fear. I think that gave me that sense of urgency. Like I, we got to do something now before we wipe out all these vulnerable populations from LA. We got to get the word out how important they are, how possible it is to coexist with these animals before it's too late. Um, tell me about the bat survey. So yeah, the Backyard Bat Survey is a community science project where the Naturist Museum scientists partner with community members to get a better understanding of bat diversity and activity in the Los Angeles area. And so we use acoustic detectors to record the species-specific locations of bats to get a baseline of bat activity and species richness in the LA area. I put these detectors in people's backyards, these their personal spaces that they're kind enough to, to let me use for an entire year. Um, and I'll do the same now at schools, libraries, boys and girls club, and other small urban open spaces. And I think the more trusted community centers that I target in this project, the more connected a wider and more diverse audience will be to local nature. And it's fun because you're in places that are very industrial neighborhoods, for instance, and some of these families have lived in these homes for generations and have never seen bats or never considered bats being there. And in a matter of a couple weeks or a month, I can tell them and have evidence in front of them showing them that they do have nature that is using their neighborhood. They do have this connection to nature that they didn't know they had before. And then I can give them more information why they should advocate for keeping these bats around. What are some of the most interesting areas that you were able to find bats or unexpected areas where you were able to find bats? So yeah, I mean, one individual, he was at a strip mall and somehow he found a roost behind a towway sign on a in a parking lot. So literally wow. like the brick wall, the aluminum sign, and a little bit of space behind there. And he somehow observed bats flying out. And then he came back and he saw the same thing the next night. He was like, oh man, this could be a roost. We have our idea, even the scientists are like, okay, we're in urban areas, we gotta op have an open mind. Um, let's look at bridges in addition to trees and things like that, or, or caves, even though we don't really have caves here. Um, and so, that was our, us stretching our limits. And then this individual, I was like, hey, you got to stretch your minds even more because I just found one behind a towway sign. And so I think a lot of discoveries that myself and other community scientists make um, in L.A. aren't necessarily because we're extra talented scientists or extra connected with nature. It's because we're taking a chance and looking for bats in a place that nobody's ever looked before or looked as intensely. Those include a lot of communities that are also historically excluded from environmental education and nature access. And I think everybody has a valuable role to play in learning about bats and eventually advocating for their conservation in LA. After the break, how mutant mosquitoes are taking over LA and how just maybe they've met their match.
The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com slash sweeps. Hi, I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, and we are back for another round. This is clearly an NPR audience. (laughs) I think they're so smart. What the hell? My guests this time are actor Vela Lavelle and author Amanda Montel, whose new book, The Age of Magical Overthinking, is out now. Join us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum for book talk, trivia, and hot takes. Tickets can be found at laist.com slash events. I gotta say, this is one of my favorite times of the year. It's because of all of the spring migrants coming in. You catch me outside for most of the day, looking for birds and admiring all the beautiful splendor of California native flowers. Early evening is me time, and that's when I'm in the garden weeding, planting, and sharing space with all the wonderful backyard creatures stirring about. This is where I find so much peace. It's when I can calm all the chatter and decompress from the hustle of everyday life. I take a deep breath, I get in the zone, and that's when it happens. I feel it like a little pinch on my toe or right on my ankle. I hear a slight buzz and I swat around my ear. They're back, these little mosquitoes. And if you live in L.A. like me, you don't just have these everyday mosquitoes. We have these super tough mosquitoes to worry about. This non-native species called Aedes. Everything about these little bloodsuckers is scary. They can tolerate more extreme weather, very hardy. They can lay eggs and grow larvae in the tiniest pools of standing water, like in a little bottle cap. They're like the T-1000 of mosquitoes. So I wanted to ask Miguel about whether, maybe, possibly, his little bat friends might do me a solid and have a mosquito feast. Like, are are they eating certain insects, or or how is what what do we know about? Yeah, we know that they eat a variety of insects, nocturnal flying insects, um, wasps, micro wasps, moths mosquitoes. And when I say that, that's when it gets people's attention. And I start winning people over because everybody is annoyed by mosquitoes, especially in LA when we have these uh, non-native mosquitoes that are extra aggressive. And And extra tough. Yeah, tough to exterminate. And so we have uh, now even more reason to appreciate bats and tolerate them, even if they are a slight inconvenience sometimes. And I've heard stories of uh, one homeowner, for instance, that liked bats, didn't mind bats, um, but she had them in an overhang over their, her front porch, and they were um, pooping a little bit too much for her her comfort. And so from that standpoint, they were kind of a nuisance. She was like, I don't want you to hurt the bats, but get rid of them, please, because and have them go somewhere else. And then the bat biologists were like, are you sure? Because they might not come back. And they have a lot of great impacts on the insect activity and like mosquitoes. She's like, oh yeah, I'll be fine. So then a few months later, 
she goes and contacts this biologist. Can you reverse that somehow? Can you uh, open up these crevices again? Because I like to have my evening wine uh, around sunset. And now I'm just getting hammered by these mosquitoes. <laughs> and it's intolerable. And uh, It's so, unacceptable yeah. when you can't have your evening wine in peace. <laughs> so, yeah, once we kind of connected to us personally, I think whether it's um, being inconvenienced by mosquitoes, whether it's you want to keep our ecosystems healthy and in balance, um, or just do the right thing and, and allow animals to be here that have been here way longer than we have. Yes, like, of course, I want that because there's no discrimination there when they see some fresh skin. <laughs> so any, any help I can get on that end, I'm, I'm all for. What can we do to help these bats? Like, you know, how we set up a cookie and milks for Santa. We, you know, we want to make sure that he's coming down that chimney. How do we set up a cookie and milk for, for bats? I mean, a lot of people go immediately to bat boxes. And I mean, although I do agree with that as one method of supporting bats and putting up where you can, sometimes they work. They're really picky about where they end up roosting. So sometimes they help, sometimes they don't. So I wouldn't end it at bat boxes. I would expand it to the types of plants that we grow. Um, just like a lot of animals um, that are native to this area, a lot of the insects that they prey upon, that they specialize on, are native species. And if we grow native plants that accommodate those species of insects, then we're going to also be taking care of the predators that rely on those native insect species. Our nature gardens at the Natural History Museum, for instance, is a good example of that. We didn't have any habitat um, previous to 2013 in our, in our Natural History Museum. And then we all of a sudden have three and a half acres of garden. And we saw a response and we had a bat detector there um, in the nature gardens. And to date we've detected five species of bats, not only bats that we know are everywhere, like the Mexican free bat, but also bats that are reliant on trees. And so having a three and a half acre garden kind of serve that purpose sends a message, right? It says that you don't have to have a national forest to be able to support bats. Even those community gardens and neighborhood pocket parks can make a huge difference. And so that's one thing, and don't use pesticide because that goes up the food web. Um, and so if you're putting it on your plants, the insects are eating that. And also bats are really way better pest control, way cheaper pest control than any other fumigation regime can offer. When we come back, Miguel shares his dream for the future of bats, and we'll get outside and see if we can find some ourselves. As a farmer's son from a desert region in California, J.B. Hamby thinks a lot about water. I spent a lot of time digging up history, particularly about water, which is the origins of the Imperial Valley. How this 28-year-old became the youngest lead negotiator on the Colorado River ever and how he could shape the most consequential negotiations to date. Listen to Imperfect Paradise, the Gen Z water dealmaker, wherever you get podcasts. Alleyist has a new live event series with the James Beard Foundation. We Are Where We Eat will go behind the scenes of some of your favorite LA restaurants to find out how and why they do what they do. 
I'm Austin Cross. Join me for the first event where we'll explore how restaurants help make a neighborhood and we'll all have something delicious to eat afterwards. It's May 22nd at the Crawford. Get your tickets now at las.com slash events. So making sure that we're, we're uh, increasing the, the native plants, tree canopy, and tow-away traffic signs, I think, are going to be the key to the bat recovery. Yeah. I have one question around the bat sign. Will that help <laughs> as well? Yeah, it'll get my attention at least and hopefully attract a lot of moths. So it'll benefit bats for sure. Um, and hopefully what I would love is that we don't need a bat sign. Like we all, because of projects like ours and other other relatable, accessible projects, people will have more awareness of not only that bats are here, but how we can study them, how we can support their conservation. Um, And we can be at a football game at the LA Coliseum. And instead of me being the nerd with the bat detector at halftime listening for bats, there will be a stadium full of thousands of people at halftime that will be, okay, we know bats are here. Let's see what bats are out here tonight. Um, because that awareness will be there, that comfort with bats being around us will be there, and that's the future that I would love for my children and my grandchildren. I think what we should push for is instead of having that kiss cam, (laughs) we have the bat cam. (laughs) So they'll turn the camera to whatever bat is flying around the the Coliseum. I love that. Um, All this bat talk has me wanting to go check out some bats. Let's go. Let's do it, man. (laughs) Miguel and I left the Whittier Narrows Nature Center. We drove through the winding streets of South Almani and Whittier neighborhoods right before sunset. We parked our cars beside the San Gabriel River. We walked past these stretches of riverbank with vaqueros out training their horses and set out to look for bats under this overpass beneath the 60 freeway. We're here. It's like on the border of a freeway. This is a highway. People are driving as fast as they can to get to wherever they're going. And you got folks living life like like if they're back at the rancho training their horses. We're right next to a, a, a tree nursery that's under these huge Edison power lines. The sun is setting and the reflection off of the water is just so calming. You can hear the freeway, but it has that effect, at least for me, that you would get at the ocean. Tweet, tweet, tweet. They sound like birds, but like they have this really like consistent cadence to it. You heard something. You heard it. I, I right didn't there. Hear them. Right there. See it? It's circling in here. It's a lot larger than I thought it would be. See, there he goes, right here. Yeah, there's usually like a couple that start off and then like all of a sudden a bunch of them start flooding out. Oh! There we go. That's so cool. Human Nature is hosted by Marcos Trinidad. 
and produced by Carla Javier and me, Caroline Champlin. Kelly Prime is our story editor. Mixing and engineering by Parker McDaniels, with help from Sean Corey Campbell. Ex Manana composed our music. Doris Anahi Munoz is the music supervisor. Human Nature is a production of LAS Studios. The marketing team of LAS Studios created our branding with art by Christine Tyler Hill. Special thanks to Taylor Kaufman, Sabir Brara, Kristen Hayford, Kristen Muller, Andy Orozco, Michael Cosentino, Neha Sheda, and Fiona Ng. Antonia Serejido and Leo G are the executive producers for LAS Studios. Support for this podcast is made possible by Gordon and Donna Crawford, who believe that quality journalism makes Los Angeles a better place to live. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people. That's all for this episode of Human Nature. We'll see you next week. Start your Saturday with something that will grow your kiddos' brains and get their creative juices flowing. Join us at LAS for a morning of multilingual story times, interactive performances, art making, and lots of kid fun. Bring the whole fam and join us for a super fun Saturday at LAS in Pasadena on June 1st. Tickets at las.com slash events. See you there.